Good evening, everybody. It's just me tonight. Uh, we've got two special guests coming on shortly, and you're going to love these guys. Uh, I, David Glinky is in Korea uh, flying with American Airlines, and Micah's working the sound booth tonight because we have to bring in two fellas on the live stream, so we need the technical help. Uh, but I wanted to share with you that the governors I covered on Sunday, we went from the six boxes that statistically we, we had already fulfilled and looked like as a county we were at that place. If we just lowered the number of tests, we would be within the realm of positive cases and we would fulfill all six boxes. It was basically semantics. And that was all set to go. And then the governor changes and moves the goalposts. And now we've got a four-colored tiered system, purple, red, orange, and yellow and uh, in that category, the churches are still meeting outside. They're the last to be considered. It's still social distancing and masks. And if you're lucky, you'll get 50% occupancy by the winter months. Um, and, and we're still watching the, the death rate drop. We're watching the hospitalizations drop precipitously. And yet, um, but thankfully, the Ventura County Star and others, CDC, they came out pointing that <clears throat> 6% of the total deaths were from COVID-19, the other 94% were from, uh, were with uh, COVID-19, including core morbidities and, and the like. So the, the same numbers are true here, and uh, yet the governor decides to double down. There isn't even a green box. There isn't even a, a, in the foreseeable future with the governor that we would ever be lifted from these draconian measures. And I'm happy to share with you that I just got back from San Jacinto near Hemet, another church wide open, no social distancing, no masks, no cases, and uh, pretty remarkable. And churches are across the state starting to realize that the governor has no interest in the church being considered essential. So we're, we're working hard. Grateful for your support. Our court case is coming up at the end of September. We've got uh, um, folks agreeing to come and be expert witnesses. We've got the doctors all lined up, psychologists. We're putting our case together. We're ready and uh, so grateful for your support. <clears throat> Tonight, I was excited because I got agreement from two of my friends that are on the other end of the United States on the East Coast. So it's late for them and they're usually in bed by now, but bless their heart, they decided to stay awake. They're both drinking Mountain Dew and uh, they're, they're pastors in North Carolina uh, governor Roy Cooper, who has done some draconian measures, just like our governor, and uh, really been heavy on the churches in, uh, in, this, in the state of North Carolina. And these, these two pastors, uh, Boyd Byerly and, and Neil Jackson, I, I had the privilege to get to know them on a trip to Israel, and we have been knitted ever since. And as I had shared with them earlier, and I've, I've shared with many of the folks in North Carolina, <clears throat> we took a bunch of pastors to North Carolina for a trip along with the Lieutenant Governor, Dan Forrest, who is running for Governor of North Carolina against Roy Cooper, and uh, had a chance to just see what a, a blessed group of men they are, and had a chance to really have our hearts knitted. And in the midst of all this trial, uh, some of the greatest correspondence and the encouragement that we've received have been from the state of North Carolina, with these churches gathering on the day that we were going before the judge for our hearing, they were all sending cards and notes and texts and emails, uh, gathering together as churches to pray for us. And two of, of, of my dearest friends that I have come to love and adore uh, agreed to be with me tonight. And so I, I, I don't want to keep them awake too long because North Carolina, they go to bed at 10 and yeah, they're, they're getting older. They're, yeah, but they're sweet as can be. Amazing guys. And the coolest thing about Pastor Boyd and Pastor Neil, Pastor Neil's a Baptist pastor. Pastor Boyd is a Church of Christ pastor. One's a charismatic. The other is, you know, a stuffy Baptist. And one is swinging from the chandelier charismatic. Uh, and they are the closest of friends that have been instrumental in bringing unity to their community. And we've got some wonderful things to share with you tonight to let you see that this trial that we're struggling with in California is not just for us. It's across the country. And this is a call for the church to awaken and the essential nature of the church. So would you welcome my two dear brothers, Pastor Neil and Pastor Boyd. Hey, fellas. Good evening. <laughs> Hello, my brother. It's good to see, see Brother Rob. All right, so, so just to let everybody know, uh, Pastor Neil is in blue, and Pastor Boyd, he was the nose guard for, uh, I think, every university in North Carolina. Yeah, no, I'm just kidding you. Uh, but but uh, Pastor Boyd, Church of Christ, Pastor Neil is Baptist, Beulah Baptist. Yeah, I got that right, correct? 
Church of God. Church of God. I got it wrong. Yeah, the Church of that? Christ around here don't believe in music, but that's okay. <laughs> Church, got it. All right. Church of God. My bad. Uh, so what we were talking about earlier and what I was so blessed by is the fact that you guys are struggling with the same thing we're struggling with in California. You've got a governor, Roy Cooper, who's being pretty heavy handed on the churches and he's, he's put some heavy constraints on y'all. Is that correct? Yeah, I, th- I think, uh, you know, the, the interest in our stories are so similar because early on, you know, we listened, we, we paid attention and we said, okay, uh, we'll submit, let's, let's follow your guidelines, let's do what you said. And all of a sudden you, you start following the numbers and you start following what's going on and you're going, wait a minute, th- this is over the top. And so we immediately began pushing back and uh, we had success in the parking lot, but it just, it just wasn't the same. So, you know, we opened our doors and we've gone back in and, um, and we, we've left our doors open. Well, we made some, obviously, some changes uh, like everybody else and, 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 and trying to do the things that are right with the hand sanitizer and making sure everything is clean and sanitized and, and, and doing good uh, things that we can do. But uh, for our governor to say that we're non-essential uh, really lit a fire under some of us. Yeah. And, and Neil, same thing? Same, exactly. Um, there, there are some things that we can bend over backwards to try to um, go the extra mile for for those that are in authority. But there are some things we just can't compromise. And uh, be it the church and being it being essential is something. Send us to jail, and uh, you are pioneer in that way. And we are supporting you. We are praying for you. But we're willing to do the same thing here on the East Coast, if need be. Yeah, our, our you know, one of the interesting things of our governor, Rob, was, uh, you know, if you, if you just go strictly on constitutional rights, when, when some of the protesting happened, our governor has actually been seen out with the protesters uh, without his mask on. And we would defend his right to go out and protest. But yet he, you know, uh, when it came to the church, uh, you don't have that right. So one of the reasons we push back is, is the inconsistency of our governor. Yep. And the choices he made and who he made essential, and who he made non-essential, the people he hurt uh, in this process. He has really hurt our small businesses. He, he's uh, almost shut a lot of those down. A lot of those won't reopen. And it's strictly because he made a choice and he does. He's not really given a scientific fact on why he made those choices. And so we had to push back and say somebody somewhere has got to say we're going to stand up for our community. So this is not just about the church. It's also about our community and our people. Yeah. Several of our, of our pastors went out in front of the ABC store that sells alcohol that the state owns, and uh, that was Boyd's idea, but uh, just made a commercial. Hey, the governor says we're not essential, but cars constantly coming in saying, oh, this beer joint is essential, and uh, selling lottery tickets and doing that, it just is wrong. Well, the, the, the problem with the church and a liquor store, the reason why a liquor store is essential is because there's revenue. Uh, church doesn't draw, draw any revenue for the state. So, yeah. Yeah. If they can't tax it, they won't open it. I, 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 I have to share because we've done two studies here in California. We've done extensive uh, reviews of both in our previous live streams. But there was a, a study, I think it was USC, and the other one was at Stanford, where the likelihood is, especially here in California, of herd immunity, uh, where they've been starting to look for the antibodies, and we're starting to realize that California was hit early because we had an influx of, of uh, you know, Chinese tourists coming in, and uh, the likelihood is that the, the COVID hit early on, and there's, there's large immunity up and down the state, but that's irrelevant to our governor. I call him Governor Mussolini. Uh, it's irrelevant to him, and and this is a virus that as we're looking at the CDC numbers, we're now at, they, they've just revised it. 6% is people who died from, uh, as opposed to dying with. And uh, we've never tracked any other virus this way. And we, we, you know, all of our schools are closed, but we also know the viral load in children is substantially less in the transmission of it. And, and as we've watched this, we've just closed our schools, released convicts into our streets, destroyed our small businesses, caused our families undue financial harm 
And then, you, you know, the folks at the two reporting agencies that are mandated reporters for abuse are the churches and the schools, of which the governor's closed both. And now they've quarantined uh, spouses that are being abused and children who are being abused with the abuser. And none of those things are being addressed. And yet this is so political and, and we're watching the governor double down. There's not even a chance to go back to normal in the state of California when everything is basically flatlined. There's not even a chance for us to reopen and our churches have to meet outside. Now, this is where I wanna go with the long statement. Uh, we were talking earlier and now granted, we've been open since May 31st and we haven't had one reported case uh, in our church. Knowing f- farewell that it, it likely could happen because we know that the virus is contagious, but it's not deadly except towards a group of people that we have known ever since uh, the, the, uh, the, the cruise liner. Uh, and and we, we, we know this to be the case, that it's 65 and older with comorbidity, high susceptibility, and yet we've affected the entire community. And granted, we haven't had a case reported to anyone that I know of in the church uh, of anyone contracting COVID, but for both of you guys, your churches are open and you, you did experience in your churches folks who contracted COVID. And as a matter of fact, Neil, even in your family, your children contracted, is, is that correct? Yeah, well, the, both of my kids are in college, but um, uh, our youth group went to camp um, this summer, originally going to uh, a camp here in North Carolina, and they had an outbreak, so they went to a different camp, and the kids from camp brought um, COVID back after they got back here. They didn't realize it while they were at camp, and then it went through uh, their families and and spread, um, and just like it did with our family. So um, our two daughters, 19 and 21, got it, and uh, my wife and I did as well. So, so, uh, and, and I, Boyd, we'll get, get to your story in just a second, but the, the interesting thing to me is you open your church, congregants contract COVID-19, and you're thinking, you know, most people think, well, that's, that's the death blow, that church is finished, it's going to be destroyed, nobody's ever going to want to go to that church. First of all, you had no deaths, um, and, and the folks in your church are like, no, no, church is essential, we want to keep going. Is, is that a fair statement? That's what I, I thought you said. Yeah, absolutely. So um, I've received, you would think, because it was pretty significant in our church. And we had um, uh, dozens, let's just say that, that had the, the, the virus that actually tested positive. Um, but I didn't get negative pushback from our church. It was really a rallying around, hey, we need the church now as much as we've ever needed the church and uh, now some in the community were, were pushing back negatively, but no one, not, not within our church. And, and for, for most of the people who contracted it, the symptoms were like a cold. It was minor in, in most cases. There were a few that got hit a little harder. But like you said, with, with your experience of it, you had a headache and a little tired, but you pushed through. Yeah, so I would say it was probably 95% of our people that got it was very minor, um, and I, I thank the Lord for that. Um, there were less than five that were had respiratory issues already and um, really struggled with it. And nobody went on ventilator, and even a couple of our senior citizens got it but um, and went to the hospital, but have recovered and are doing fine now. And so my as a pastor, my heart breaks that some of my members would struggle um, with sickness, but I'm thankful that nobody has died and they have recovered and are going forward now um, more committed to Jesus and evangelism, the gospel than ever. And, and, and they're not finding a new church. They're happy with the church they're part of, I'm assuming. I mean, as a Sunday <laughs> <laughs> and, 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 and Boyd, yours, yours wasn't as heavy, but you did have a handful, I guess. I, I yeah, let, let me let me piggyback on something over here if I can just for a moment. Yeah, one of the, one of the, I think one of the positive reasons uh, for the church's response is that other churches around the area committed to praying for our brothers who had an outbreak, committed to supporting them, and committed to on our online stuff saying we're supporting Beulah, 
you know, this is not this is not a death knell with them. So I think that's one thing that the church has got to get a hold of is we need to be supporting each other in, in this time of crisis. And I, I know you'll talk more about that in a moment. Yeah. And, and I would just add um, throughout this and and uh, I'm oh, what did I do to my church and everything? Boy, he called me every day. There wasn't a day he didn't call me just to encourage me, kick me in the pants, pick me up. And so and and he it's a group of pastors and we're willing to fight with each other for each other, die for each other, whatever we need to do to advance the cause. And, um, and, and it helped me get through this. Amen. I, I <clears throat> Boyd, you had touched on something that's critical and because people listening and, and fair enough, they're, they're listening and they're saying, okay, well, your church was happy. They're happy to gather, but they were infected and went out into the community and God knows who they infected out there. And true that that is with a virus. But, but the reality and, and the part that we're not looking at is the essential nature of the church, but more importantly, what you said, Boyd, which is you've taken a virus and, and you look at the severity of the virus, which we know the data, and that's what we were worried about early on. And when we realize that this virus is not what they've made it out to be, and you, you start to meet as a congregation, you get infected by it, but you're pushing to say, look, we do love our neighbors because the draconian measures by the governor, Roy Cooper, in shutting down small businesses, destroying the schools, shutting down faith communities where people find their solace and their comfort, and, and releasing convicts into the street, and then embracing the, the protest marches and being duplicitous in, in his application of the law, you're, you're standing and saying, look, we don't, we don't want the governor to be in charge of our health. We, we, we want the freedom to be able to care for our community and to care for our, our neighbors that are losing their businesses and are being sequestered with their abusers and all the things that are transpiring. This is, this is far greater of a problem than what our congregation struggled with and recovered from. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think one of the interesting things to me is, is if this was a true plague, then the numbers would be different. But also, if I know history and the way I've studied history, one thing the church has always done is run into the plague. It's the church that gets on the front line, ministers the sick, and there's a reason for that. Uh, and, 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 and that's been one of the things I think has been a little frustrating for me in this culture is all of a sudden not understanding the nature of the church. We believe in eternal life. We believe that God has our days numbered. And we believe that we, not because we feel like we're superior people, we just have a worldview that allows us to run into these kind of issues. Yeah. And, and I think the thing that's been really frustrating for me with the churches that I deal with is they've lost that sense of eternity. And because they've lost a sense of eternity, they now believe the worldview on this being a plague. When And, and I know I'm not a scientist. I'm a, I'm a math major. But when I do the numbers, this is not a pandemic. No. No. It, it, and and it, at this point, when we're looking at the CDC numbers and everything else, it, it really is an attempt to stifle and, and, and cause the community at large to be fearful and to control. Um, and, and I love the fact of how the two of us met in Israel, where we were really studying this issue of a representative form of government. We, we walked through every area of Israel, including uh, Jerusalem. We were at the Sea of Galilee. And there was almost this awakening as we were going along with the Lieutenant Governor of North Carolina and talking about where liberty comes from and the critical nature of the two ideologies. One is man makes the rules and the other is we honor God and, and we protect inalienable rights because we've been created in the image of God. One is a collective, one, one is, is, is an oligarchy of the few ruling the many and the other is a bottom-up recognition that these rights come from God and man is free. And, and now we're seeing the soul of America and the fabric of the country at one of the most critical elections in the history of the nation, if we're gonna fundamentally change from a constitutional republic to a form of socialism, and the church almost seems as though they're embracing the socialist side and buying into the narrative of a pandemic that allows the government to take away everyone's rights. Uh, did, were you moved by our time in Israel? Did, did that 
prepare you for what you're dealing with now? Elaborate or just say, no, it didn't. I don't care. <laughs> oh, no, it was, it was extremely helpful, extremely enlightening. I think for me, I'll take, you, I'll take you to one moment on that trip that absolutely rocked my world. Uh, it was the Valley of Elam when we went to go see where David fought Goliath. As we were going up that hill in the bus, I saw these trails on, on the hillside, and being an old country boy, I thought, man, good place to ride motorcycles here and uh, four-wheelers. That's, that was my thought. We get off the bus, get to the top to overlook where you're going to describe, and all of a sudden we hear these guys on motorcycles and four-wheelers just tearing up the place, and they were actually coming near us, and they were so loud I couldn't hear you speak. And I really, be, I, I got mad. I got a little angry. I thought, you know what? If I was in North Carolina, I'd, I'd set this straight. I'd go over here and I'd jerk you off this thing. Go, hey man, we go over here trying to listen to this preacher speak. How about going cool it? Go, go somewhere else. And then you make this statement: What is about to happen in this valley is not who is going to be king, but who the next generation would serve. And as soon as you said that, the convicting power of the Holy Spirit grabbed a hold of me and said, boys, you were mad about the two young guys on the four-wheelers when that's what this is about. It's who the next generation. It's not about who's up here on this hill hmm. because kingship has already been established. Amen. I have made you kings and priests through your God, but who is the next generation going to serve? And so that was what I came back with. So, so when we come back and then all of a sudden this hits, one of the driving forces for me out of Israel has been who will the next generation at my church serve? Wow. Kingship wow. is established. You yeah. just stole my line. That's exactly what I was going to say. The, 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 the one phrase that rocked my world in Israel was when Rob was up there talking about this girl in his youth group and that statement. This is not about who would be the next king. It's about who the next generation would serve. And that's my word. You say, and I would slightly disagree with you, that right now the churches are choosing socialism. I don't think they're smart enough to choose socialism. Good I word. think they're just choosing complacency. They're just choosing to sit on the sidelines. They're just choosing to be spectators. And the, the country is being sold out to socialism, and they're clueless about it. This That's is true. about who the next generation would serve. This is not about Donald Trump. This is not about Joe Biden. This is about who our kids are going to serve. You know what? You're not in disagreement with me. I'm in agreement with you. I, 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 I think that that's a great clarification because apathy and complacency is like Dietrich Bonhoeffer said, silence in the face of evil is complicit with evil itself. At least that's been attributed to him. I haven't been able to find the source, but I still think it's a cool quote and I'm going to give it to him. Uh, but as we look at that, the church in its complacency or its apathy, just, just getting along, going along to get along, as opposed to realizing that liberty is not man's idea, it's God's idea. And that the church is supposed to be that moral fabric because a, a republic will only survive with a moral people. And, and they don't see their role in it because 50 plus years ago, we abdicated our, our responsibility in the ecclesia, the, the public square, the, the, the assembly. And we're more concerned with the, the, the translation that King James gave of, of that passage, which is church. Upon this rock, I'll build my church. Well, that's not the word. The word is ecclesia, public square, assembly. And so we almost become useful idiots to an ideology that, that we're ignorant of. And, it's, and it's, it's driving the church into obscurity and irrelevance. And, and, it, and, it, it, and it will become non-essential because we're so driven by the senses, the visual, that we have no intellectual understanding of what's at stake. And we're, we're living for today as opposed to sowing seeds and planting trees of, who, of, of whose shade we'll never know for generations to come. And so I, I honestly, I, I remember being up on that hill and looking down at the Valley of Elah. It was the first time I'd been in that location to teach that message. I didn't remember what I said and, and that both of you took away from that, this call to the next generation, because that is, is really why I'm doing what I'm doing. I, I have, my wife and I and my family have decided it doesn't matter the cost. We're, we're all in. It doesn't matter. And, and the elders of the church, we all came to an agreement. The congregation itself, we're completely unified. It doesn't matter what they take from us. We've surrendered it. And anything given to God first will never be lost. We've given that 
They can take whatever they want and put me wherever they want to put me, but I will not be silent. I will contend for liberty for generations to come. It's that critical, and I'm, I'm blessed to hear you guys say that. It, it, it moves well, my heart. One thing I would say, I, I think both of you are right in the sense of whether it's the complacency or the socialism, because the Bible's clear. To be a friend of the world is to be the enemy of God. So if it's a friend of the world because we're complacent and just letting the world do what the world does, we put our position, ourselves in position of the enemy of God. If it's socialism, which a lot of our people are going after, then all of a sudden we, we become the enemy of God. And I, I, think, I think the church has got to wake up uh, to this reality that, you know what, we really have positioned ourselves as God's enemy. And I know that's harsh, and I know that's hard, and I don't like it. I don't even like it coming out of my mouth. But it is a reality that the church in America, because of its complacency, sitting on its hands, letting these governors say whatever they want to say and then trying to use Romans, you know, that we just do whatever the governor says, man, we have become God's enemy. The, the enemy is definitely coming in like a flood. There is no question whatsoever. But what, what greatly burdens me is more pastors aren't doing what you are doing, Pastor Rob, and just saying, Though, though he slay me, I'm going to serve him, and I'm going to stand if no one else will. And there's always a remnant through Scripture that God chooses the few to get the masses to follow. And I believe that God has raised you up in this very crucial time period to lead many other pastors to lead their churches to right. Other, way, other, other reason we're gone. Yeah. Well, I... It, it, kind words that you extend to me, but it, in, in all honesty, um, people always often say, we're thankful that you're standing. And I, and I say this, and it's not cliche. I mean it with all my heart. I may be standing, but you guys are the ones holding me up. I'm, when, when we get the correspondence from North Carolina in, in mass of people praying for us, and I told you this earlier, 56 years on this earth, I've been walking with the Lord for over 30 of those years, and I've never felt the peace that I feel right now. And I know it is completely 100% a result of the prayers of God's people. And the fact that we do stand in unity and that all the way in North Carolina, as, as those prayers are being offered to the Lord as a fragrant offering, God is moving and, and bringing a peace in the midst of kind of a chaotic time. And, and I don't know how to describe it other than that. And, and I, you may be saying those things to me, Neil, and boy, do you feel, say the same and feel the same. I just have to say to the two of you, if we're looking for heroes and all this, you're mine. I've always felt that way about the two of you. Whenever I've called, you've never said no. There, there isn't anything you wouldn't do. I mean, a friend that's closer than a brother, that's both of you guys. And I, I have to tell you, God's called me to California. Most of California's moved to North Carolina. I'm not allowed to leave but I would be with you in a heartbeat. <laughs> I, I just, the, the cities where you both pastor are precious. The congregations that you oversee are delightful. And, and there's a, a, just a way uh, about people in North Carolina that's just tender. And uh, well, I can tell you people at Sunset Avenue and Beulah love Rob McCoy and they love your fellowship. Hmm. They, they've never met you, they don't know you, but we have put you up on our screens and, and, and they ask me every week, how are things in California? Mm. So, so no, you are a light. Uh, your whole church is a light. Uh, not just you, your staff, your family, and uh, man, we need you. Yeah. Hey, I'm not blowing smoke. This, I mean, I've told Tracy this. Um, I wish I was 20 years younger so I could just go and leave all this behind and just study. Um, under Rob McCoy and all that happened. I mean, I heard you speak at a few things before, but that trip to Israel, um, God knit our hearts together and I, I, I'll take a bullet for you. And, and I mean that from the bottom of my heart because I believe in you. I believe in what you're doing. I believe in your message. I believe in your heart. You, you, it's one thing to be a fiery guy and to go against opposing forces but you're just not a fiery guy. You got a heart like David that, that seeks and longs to please God more than all else. And therefore out of that, you're willing to go fight uncircumcised Philistines. 
Uh, I, I wouldn't know anyone I'm fighting uh, their uh, situation in regards to what you described there. But <laughs> I, I, I will say, um, I'm a little, I, I, you guys just got me all flustered. Um, I hear you say these things and it, it's hard to receive because I feel that way about you guys. And I, and to know that your congregations are praying and I, I wanted you to be on the live stream because I wanted everybody to know what it's like to have not just brothers, but friends like you. Um, and, and it's, I'm a rich man. And that has nothing to do with my finances. Uh, that God would bring guys like you into my life. And I, I'm, I'm so thankful. And please, I, I, that I long for the day I get to be with your congregation and tell them personally, but until that time comes, I, I wanted you on this program because I want your congregations to know not only how much everyone who's involved in what we're doing and has tuned into the live stream, how much we love you and appreciate you, but the power, the fervent faithful prayers of a righteous man or woman accomplish great things. What you have done on behalf of all of us, please let them know. Please let them know. Um, I couldn't pay, repay you in a thousand lifetimes, but I, I just, I love you both and I'm grateful for you. And I'm, I don't know if it's we cool love, to- We love you and I think one thing, you know, and, and needs that, to be and said. Wait, 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 Boyd. You're in North Carolina. I know saying to a brother, I love you is probably a little tougher as it is in California, but I love you as much as a man can love another man and still be a man. So I just, I want you to know it that way. <laughs> hey, I love you, brother. Amen. Uh, the one thing I think it needs to be said is, you know, we know that you didn't ask for this. Uh, you, you didn't, you didn't go out and politic and, and, and try to get your name on the news and do all this in front. And I think the thing that has been so beautiful about this from the, from the kingdom standpoint, is God positions men. And when God positions men in places and seasons, it is the responsibility of the church to come alongside and to see that. And for me, it's a joy to walk along behind you and beside you because I know that for this season, for whatever the reason, the sovereign purpose of God is to have you out front. Uh, and I know you're not the only one, but you're one of, one of a handful of a few right now that's out front. And we thank God that God's got men that's willing to be out front because if there weren't men that would be willing to be out front, then this would be a whole lot worse than it is now. So thank you. What, what really um, blessed me is your willingness to step down from your position, your elected office. I mean, that just shows you didn't know all this was going to transpire. You just say, you know what? I'm going to take the step that I know I'm supposed to take and just leave the consequences to God and God really has elevated you, but it's because you're willing to step down, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, and he will lift you up. And that's happened with you. And what I'm praying for it, it, with Gideon, um, once they went, went forward and they defeated the Midianites, 135,000, then those that were at home, that they were sent home because they were fearful and afraid and all the other ones, they came out to battle. And that's what I'm praying is because you are willing to go forth and show them, hey, it is safe and God will protect us and God will be with us. There's going to be a whole host of pastors rise up and say, okay, it's safe. Let's go do battle. And that's, a, that's a good word, Neil, because um, th there's, there's a handful of churches open in Ventura County and most of the churches aren't. And I, and I love those brothers as much as you love the fellowship of brothers you have in North Carolina. And... And I, and I love them, and, and I, I stand with them. We, we agree that we disagree, but that no one's going to divide us. And my heart hurts for them because they're trying to abide by the governor's rules. Now, because I was in politics, I, I knew that the governor had no interest in, in playing by rules. He's just going to move the goalpost. But they're, they're, they're trying. And here they're really close, and, and we've fulfilled every requirement and the governor, in one fell swoop, takes it out of the county's hands, puts it at the state level, and makes our entire county purple. And, and, and there's no hope for them to even get back into their building until fall, maybe winter, which is just unprecedented. And, and dismisses them as though they don't exist. 
and puts every other category ahead of the church. And my heart breaks because they really want to do right. But I also think, too, that they're going to be the ones coming uh, when, when, when they start to see this. They're, they're smart men, and, and they love the Lord. And once they see really what it's all about, they're, they're going to be all in. I, love hopes all things, but I truly believe that with them. And they're not my enemy. They're, they're my, my brothers. And their congregations are trying to figure out. Their elders are trying to figure out. We just happen to be a little bit further ahead because of the trips we've taken together and the things we've studied. Are you finding that same unity uh, working with churches that aren't opening and trying to just build that fellowship? Absolutely. We, we have a, uh, for us, we have a prayer group of guys that's been meeting um, some of us for over 20 years now. Um, and we meet once a week. And, and there's 12 to 20 churches involved in that at any time. And one from the very beginning was to say to each other, brothers, we're going to defend each other. And if your choice is that you have to stay out, so be it. Uh, we got one brother that his church is really struggling. They've been out for 22 weeks. But he's at that prayer meeting every week. We support him. We lift him up. He's doing everything he did to try to move his people along. He, he's there. He's trying to move his people. And then you got the other end of the spectrum, me, you know, we're, we're wide open going full board with everything. Um, but the one thing we said from the very beginning, we will not condemn each other. We will support each Amen. other. Whatever decision you make, we're going to support you. Amen. And, and I think that has been a lot. You look at um, Elijah. Elijah went to Ahab and Jezebel and confronted them. That was what God called him to do. But yet there were a whole boatload of prophets that were hiding in a cave. Um, I personally, I'm like, come on guys, get out of the cave and let's go and, and, and stand up for right. But for whatever reason, God didn't condemn them. And so it's not my job to decide what every other pastor is what's supposed to do. It's my job to do what God tells me to do. And I'm support, supporting them, believing that they're listening to God and doing what they, they think is right. That's good. Well, I, we're, we're, I know it's late for you guys, and I don't want to keep everyone too long, but I, I wanted, if you could, kind of give us an update on uh, how our buddy Lieutenant Dan Forrest, Lieutenant Governor Dan Forrest is doing, Lieutenant Dan, uh, Lieutenant Governor Dan Forrest is doing um, in, in the campaign. Any idea? I know he's down in the polls, but, uh, and he hadn't been able to campaign because uh, of the lockdown. Um, have you heard anything? Actually, he was in Asheboro campaigning, uh, campaigning uh, Sunday night. Oh, okay. he, he's going around the state. He's interacting with people. He's uh, he's going into these small businesses, asking how they can help, how he can help, uh, showing him his compassion. Uh, he's on the front lines. Uh, I don't think I've ever seen anyone in my uh, lifetime and memory of voting time that has worked as hard as he has for the constituents. Um, you know, even he put his neck on the line when he challenged our governor. Yeah. Uh, that, that's caused a lot of pushback. But one thing I love about Dan Forrest, you know what you're getting. You know, you're not, you're not getting a guy that's going to tell you one thing and he's going to do another. And uh, but he's been out here among the people doing a great job. He's, he's, he's incredible. I would agree with what he said. Um, Dan Forrest is the real deal. He loves Jesus. You know that. I mean, when we were on the trip to Israel together, if yeah. you ask somebody to read scripture, Dan Forrest, if we didn't, we, the pastors didn't step up and read it, Dan Forrest would step up and read it. That's it, true. That's just the way he is. He loves Jesus. Um, just sent us something what he was doing with the Billy Graham crusade yesterday or day before. Um, the, the cards are stacked against him. I mean, Roy Cooper is on television all the time. He has the media. Um, he has the bully pulpit. Um, will uh, North Carolinians rise up and get tired of his government overreach? I'm hoping so. But in a lot of ways, the cards are stacked against Dan Forrest. Yeah. But he's not intimidated by no. that. He believes that God will move heaven and earth and get him into office. And he's doing his, his uh, part to do that. But I would encourage all of your viewers, you need to pray for Dan Forrest. Pray mm -hmm. that God would place him in the governorship of North Carolina because he could radically turn our um, state for generations to come. 
And if Governor Cooper goes back in there, it's going to be bad news for the churches. I mean, we're not that far behind California if the wrong person is in authority. Yeah. 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 California used to to be a, a, a state where, where churches were welcome and now we're non-essential from the eyes of the governor. I, I, this, is, this is the home of focus on the family. This is, this is where the, uh, you know, the, the Jesus movement started. Every major uh, parachurch ministry started in California. And um, it used to be a very, a very strong place for the church to be encouraged and, and be a part of the community. And now the governor says we're non-essential. So I don't want that to happen to, to y'all in North Carolina. And I use the word y'all because I just want to make you feel comfortable. And that's the best I can Thank do with you. my North Carolinian accent. I wish you would send us an In-N-Out burger because I love In-N-Out burger. Well, I, 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 first of all, uh, you need to come out here, both of you guys. And uh, I, I got the gift of hospitality. Michelle and I will put you up. Bring, bring your ladies and, and we'll, we'll, we'll love on you. I'll, I'll feed you In-N-Out burger till. It's coming out your nostrils like quail. That, that was an illustration from, anyways, uh, scripture. So I want some real food. Do you have the In-N-Out burgers? Give me some real stuff. Have you ever had In-N-Out burger? Yeah, yeah. Boyd, you, you know not what. Who is this who darkens my counsel with words that are without knowledge? You, you don't know what you're speaking of. It's an In-N-Out burger. It's it's epic. Just trust me, Boyd. I, I know I've eaten with you. I know meat. I know how we love barbecue. You're gonna love an In-N-Out burger. I trust you. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Well, you, know, you know, one thing I'll go back and say about Dan, you know, so many of the churches in North Carolina have been using Romans 1 to listen to the governor. And they only use verses 1 and 2. Never get to verse 3 and 4. That the ruler is supposed to be for our good. Oh, you mean Romans 13 verses? Romans 13. I'm yeah. sorry. What did I say? One? Yeah. R- it's it's late. It's all right. And, and so <laughs> thank you for correction. Uh, one thing I'll say about Dan Forrest. The thing that he has been really concerned about is the rules that have been made have not been for the good of the people. Right. And I wish the church would grab a hold of this reality when it comes to these tyrannical things these governors are doing. If we're going to obey like God says obey in Romans 13, then shouldn't the governor be doing what is good for the people? And we can say our governor has not been good for the people. Yeah. There is something I think God's doing as a former educator. I, uh, I, I taught in the public schools here in North Carolina for 13 years before I went into pastoral ministry. And predominantly the education is will lean toward Governor Cooper. Interesting enough, there is a groundswell right now that's happening of frustration. And I am just believing that God's going to turn that frustration and cause them to turn and look to someone that will do them good. Yeah. I Which agree. is what God says in Romans 13. Uh, you guys have heard my take on Romans 13. And when I say my take, it's, I, I still hold to the translation, verses 1 and 2 and 3 and 4. But what I say to pastors who use as an excuse to me in, the, in, 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 in stating that somehow I'm in violation of Romans 13, I say, you and I have the same understanding of the scripture, but your mistake is you don't have an understanding of the government in which you live. This is a constitutional republic, and the authority in Romans 13 is found in the first three words of the Declaration of Independence, we the people. We carry the authority. They govern by our consent. And when they violate the Constitution they swore to defend, it is our right and our duty to push back. We're the authority. And if you even want to go to the Second Amendment, it constitutes where it says further in Romans 13 that they carry the sword, they're instruments, they're, they're ministers of justice to execute wrath on those who do evil. It's our responsibility to hold a government in check that violates the constitution that was designed to keep them constrained so, as they, so that they wouldn't violate our God-given rights, inalienable rights. That's the purpose of government as outlined in our Declaration of Independence. And so we're the authority in Romans 13. They govern by our consent. If they don't want to be afraid, then they have to do what's right. That's my take. I like it. 
<laughs> hey, what, what, what was your line? You told us this in Israel. Um, the king of America is we the people. Well, yeah. But you said it better. You said it more eloquently. What, what was your line? Yeah, well, my point was that, that the founders established the, the authority in America, who the king would be, who the sovereign would be in the first three words of the, of the preamble of the Constitution. We the people. So we're the sovereign. So they established the people as the sovereign. They, they broke the, the consent of the governed into three categories to separate the powers, to protect our sovereignty. And then they also knew that every king needs a counselor. So the king has counselors, the president has his cabinet. And so when they finished the seven articles of the constitution, they decided to ascribe to the king, to the authority, to the sovereign, we the people, counselors. And in that first amendment, they gave us counselors, the freedom of the press, the freedom of religion, the freedom of speech, and the freedom to peaceably assemble for a right of redress of grievances against the government so that the press could pursue truth and that we would have a free press that could hold these accountable by looking at all the papers and digging in and the Freedom of Information Act and to show that they can't do these things in secret and use that power unjustly to usurp it from us, we the people. The pulpits were to declare truth, that we are, we are the ones who proclaim liberty. We're the ones who define it and establish it because it's a God principle, not a man principle. And that these inalienable rights are given by God. And so we, we help the people understand that. And then they have the freedom to speak, that they can debate these issues and they can't be censored is what we're seeing now with the tech oligarchy. And now the press has been complicit with the tyrant and has avoided the people, the sovereign. The pulpits are silent. They're not speaking and the people have no counselor. Their, their speech is being censored and now all that's left is the freedom to peaceably assemble for right of redress of grievances against the government. But now we're seeing that these peaceful protests, at least when we went to the, to the, the state house, they arrested one of our pastors when we had a, a freedom rally, but they allow Black Lives Matter to run amok and burn buildings and loot them in Los Angeles and they condone it. And 75% of the businesses that were destroyed in Los Angeles were Jewish-owned businesses. This, this, this was a hate crime. And the governor condones it. And, and there's a reason why gun sales are, are going through the roof in America is because there's no one left to counsel. And the tyrant is taking over. And the press and the pulpit need to stand in defense of the sovereign. And this is critical. And so we're, we're at a juncture where we're going to lose a constitutional republic and this freedom to be the sovereign of a bottom-up government, or we're going to be like the ash heap of history where it's always failed, socialism. And people say, oh no, this isn't socialism, this is democratic socialism. And like I said on Sunday, socialism, socialism is a turd. Democrat socialism is sprinkles on the turd. It's the same thing. And, and we're, we're, we're going to be fundamentally changed if we don't awaken that liberty, where the spirit of the Lord is, there's liberty. This representative form of government, as we studied when we were in Israel, that um, uh, Moses' father-in-law, Jethro, said, appoint godly men who are not covetous, who fear the Lord. Appoint them over thousands, hundreds, fifties, tens. Federal, state, county, local. The Lord is our God, our king, and our lawgiver. The Lord is our judge, our king, and our lawgiver out of Isaiah. That's the three branches of government, executive, legislative, and judicial. It's, it's not by chance that this happened this way. Our founders looked at it, laid it out. How do we protect the in, inalienable rights of man so that this imago day, this image, can obtain freedom to excel to heights we've never seen? An America that has 5% of the world's population is responsible for the greatest achievements of the world because we've had freedom. There isn't a government that restrains us at least there, ha there hasn't been till now. And that's why we have more patents, more Nobel Peace Prize winners, more accumulation of wealth, more industry than any other place in the world in the history of the world. But that's about to be destroyed if the counselors don't wake up. The press needs to start reporting truth instead of buying into the narrative. And the pulpits need to start proclaiming liberty as it says in Leviticus, that they declare liberty across the nation. And I believe like you, Neil, and like you, Boyd, our brothers, 
They're going to rise up. They're going to come out of the cave. They're going to join us. And, and I pray that this is a time of an awakening for the church and a revival. What are you seeing? Educate us um, in California. Um, how are the average citizens responding to the oppression? You know, the, the large number of people that are coming to our church are people who wouldn't typically darken the doors of a church because, as I said earlier, their, their streams of liberty have dried up. Uh, skaters, surfers, their beaches are closed. Their skate parks have been filled with sand. And I'm just using different illustrations. Um, but, but they come upstream and they see a church that's open in defiance of a governor who's, who's limiting and crushing their liberty. And they say, wait, somebody's standing. And so they show up here. And what they've done is their stream has dried up, so they've gone upstream. And when they come here, I said, you, you came here because your stream dried up. You went upstream. And I want you to know that the source of liberty is, you're in the right place. The source of liberty is Jesus. It's God's idea. He, he came that you might know the truth and the truth would set you free. And people respond to that. And I, I, I can go on and on about people who have come that they're just not churchgoers. And we're talking people of, of every walk of life. And they've been moved by it. So I think the people are waiting for the shepherds to lead. They want them to. They're begging them to. Our church went from 400 to 2,500 in a month. Just, just like that. And, and what, what did I do? I just opened the doors of the church. I, I didn't change my preaching. I'm not any different. But they want people to lead them. And you know they're hungry. You know they're hungry when they're coming to hear me speak. <laughs> so, uh, I, I just, I want the shepherds that are really good preachers in this community and they love God's word. Their people need to spend time with them and they're good shepherds and they have to look at the data. They have to just make a stand and say, not anymore. Our people need to walk in freedom and we need to proclaim it. And, th and that has to come from the pulpits. Absolutely. Well, I, I, I I, I, my, my sermons usually cure insomnia and I see it's worked with you guys. <laughs> well, you guys have blessed us. I know it's late there. You got a three hour jump on us. Um, and when you wake up, if, if tomorrow's not really good, would you call me and let me know to sleep in? <laughs> no. Was, yeah. Just know that, uh, Maybe we don't see the value of our words long-term. And I, I realize it was a big sacrifice for you to give up your time and go to Israel for guys you have never met. But your investment in us um, was life-altering. Hmm. And just, we, we, we felt the Spirit. God spoke to us, but He spoke through you and and then you were, we were studying the footsteps of Jesus and the miracles of Jesus. And for me, a Baptist guy, um, I, I, met, I met God um, in a lot of ways in Israel. And, and from the bottom of my heart, I, I will go to my grave thankful for Rob McCoy and how God used you to make me a better servant of him. You know, Rob standing on the Mount of Olives looking across at the city. Uh, every, everybody who's ever been has told me, well, you're just, you're just going to be awed by it. And um, I looked down across that valley and I went, really? <laughs> this is what you're coming back for? I mean, this, this is it? And then, of course, we go down in Galilee and I see how beautiful it is. And I go, this makes more sense to me that you would come here, not, not to that rock up there. Yeah. And I was reminded, God's ways are not ours. His thoughts are not our thoughts. His plans are not our plans. And in this season, none of these are our plans. Uh, if you'd give me 10 years to plan uh, how this year would work, <laughs> this would not have been my plan. No. And I'm sure it wouldn't have been yours either. And I'm sure it's not any idea what you thought would have been on your plate. But the fact that you're tuned in and you're willing to listen to what the Holy Spirit is saying, knowing that where he leads us, he's going to provide, even if that means prison, he's going to provide there too. And so I just, I just want to thank you for having ears to hear in this season. And 
I too believe there's an awful lot of other guys that are spending a lot of time in quiet right now, but they're going to, their ears are open Amen. and the right time they're coming out. Amen. I'm with you on that. Neil Boyd, I love you more than tongue can tell. Uh, and I, I wanted to interview you and praise you guys and somehow you turned it on me and, but I, I could go on all day about how much I love you guys and how much you've blessed my life. And again, I, I'm a very rich man. So I would be honored. Amen. I'd be honored if you guys would close us in prayer. Would you do that? Lord, uh, you're God. And there is none beside you. Amen. And like Peter of old, we have absolutely nowhere else to turn to. But we look to you as the author and the finisher of our faith, the completer of everything that's in us. And God, I thank you for the work that you're doing in the earth even now. I thank you, Lord, that we're, we're here at the proper time and the proper place. And I thank you that the power of the Holy Spirit is working and moving in the earth to accomplish your great plan. Mm. And God, we thank you for Rob McCoy. We thank you, Lord, for that fellowship that is working so hard. Lord, just simply to do your will. We ask for strength. We ask, oh Lord, for an incredible outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Lord, even as it was in the days of Azusa Street, that the nation would have to turn and see the work of God. Lord, do it your way. Ever how you want to do it, we're, we're just simply saying, come and pour your spirit out and help us to be on board with what you're doing. Yes, Lord. Father, we thank you that you are our God. We thank you that we don't have to fear anything, what any man can do to us, because you are our God. And as we have done before, we come and we bring you God speak and this great fellowship that you have raised up for such a time as this. I pray that you would give them wisdom from above. I pray that you would direct their steps. God, I pray that they would be laser focused, that this is not about mass. This is not about distancing. This is not about a virus. This is about Jesus being real in a state where he is not known. So I pray that, Jesus, that you would use this church. I pray that you would use this situation to expand your kingdom. And I pray a hedge of protection around the church. I pray a hedge of protection around Pastor Rob. And I pray that you would expand his coast, expand his borders, expand his influence so that he is not just speaking to a church body. He is speaking to nations because of who his God is. And because he's willing to take a step down so that you could exalt him high up. So use Pastor Rob, protect Pastor Rob. And uh, I just pray that you would assure Pastor Rob that so many people are loving him and praying for it. Your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. Love you guys. Love Thank you, bro. You. All right. And I'll, um, I-, I want you guys to plan your trip out here. That's, that's not a request. That's a demand. I'm planning on my nap right now. All right, fair enough. (laughs) You go take your hot kale pectate toddy and you go to bed. (laughs) Get your... (laughs) Love you guys, bless you, and and I'll talk to you later. Okay, good night. Uh, They're precious. And um, you got a chance to meet two of my dear friends. And I I didn't expect to um, be so encouraged by them tonight. I mean, they're always encouraging, but they... They just have a way of hitting you in the fields, and it got me tonight. And so um, now you know how blessed we are, and there are many who have surrounded us with their prayers, and I could have all of you on the live stream. I could go every night, and I couldn't thank all of you, but I I know you're in the spirit of, of those two wonderful men, and I want to take a minute to say thank you to all of you. And so with that, I'm gonna close the night with a blessing for you from the Lord. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. And may the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Now the Bible says that he who refreshes others will himself be refreshed. And um, I pray refreshment upon you all. Um, And I pray the same for Neil and Boyd. 
And just like with them and with all of you, you've refreshed me. And I pray that God does the same for you. May you hold the moon still so you get plenty of sleep tonight. And tomorrow wake refreshed as you are an instrument of blessing to so many. So may God use you. And I thank you for joining us tonight. Good night, everybody.